Thought of the Week with Monsignor Frank Bugnano on Iowa Catholic Radio and online at iowacatholicradio.com or the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And this is Monsignor Frank Bugnano. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thought of the Week. And this week, we're talking about the steps in of becoming a Catholic. What? Yeah, right. It is it's very interesting, because every church, there are literally thousands of Christian denominations. They're all good. They all have their way of bringing people into the flock, you know. Uh, and uh, some of them, it's simply uh, make a commitment to Jesus. Others, no, you got to attend four or five classes. All right, whatever. Uh, whatever. Uh, we want you to read the, so, such and such in the Bible. Fine. Everybody's got their own little method. Well, uh, the Catholic Church, for example, somebody wants to be a Catholic. Uh, so we're going to talk about, uh, well, all right, uh, there are different classifications, all right? First of all, you have a, a non-baptized person. They've never been baptized in any religion. There you go. Then you've got a baptized person, but they're not Catholic. They were baptized in a church somewhere, Very, I'm sure a very good church, baptized. But that was it. They just all received was baptism. Fine, got it. Then, hold it, you got a third classification, and that's Catholics who have been baptized but have never received confirmation or Holy Eucharist. So in, in a way, you've got three different types of people that approach and say, hey, I'm, I, you know, I'm interested in the Catholic Church. Okay, good. Uh, now, what we have in the Catholic Church, what I'm going to try, try to talk about, is called the RCIA. Now, what does that mean? It means Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. RCIA. Well, where would you come up with that one? Well, that was what was used in the early church in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, 5th centuries. In the early church, if you wanted to become a Christian, you were, you were involved in the rite of initiation as an adult, rite of Christianation for adults. That was a process. Um, in fact, I studied this myself when I studied in Rome 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I studied what they called Paleo-Christian liturgy, which means liturgy of the early church up to the 6th century. And interesting and so beautiful about all this is that um, in the 1800s, by the way, there was a new science discovered, by I think mainly by the Germans. It was called the science of history. What? What's that? Well, we, you know, we had our monasteries had just tons of books that go back to the second, first, second century all through 2,000 years, and they're just sitting on shelves, right? And other people have got all, all other libraries. The Germans said, you know, there's a way of doing this. Why don't you can categorize things and put them in sequential order uh, in terms of dates? Really? Yeah. And that's called the science of history. How do you write history? Well, our monks in our monasteries, hundreds of monasteries, they're all scholars. They all got a degree in something, and they had thousands of documents. So they began over a period of about 80, 90 years <laughs> to read these documents and classify them, put this first, that second, that third. Uh, and uh, they realized in the early church, if a person wanted to become a Christian, a Catholic, back then it was only Catholic, Christian, 
you had three states, yeah, three three steps. I'm sorry, uh, the pre-catechumenate, the catechumenate, and the mystagogia. All right, what does all that mean? <laughs> well, let me. I'll talk about that in just a second because when I was ordained a priest back in 1965, people the way you joined the church, you went to a priest, and uh, and you did a one-on-one meeting every week for I don't know two, three, four months, whatever. And then he baptized you if that's what was needed, or you got confirmed by the bishop. It was very one-on-one. Uh, and that's not how it was in the early church. Not at all. Uh-uh. Uh, because, uh, uh, for example, what happened was in the early church, you, you had a different culture, way different culture. In the fourth, for example, I'm talking about the fourth century, all right? The, th- the 300s, <laughs> very important decade or, or 100 years, century. Because um, in the 300s, in 313, you get the Edict of Milan, which meant that Christians were no longer criminals, okay? So they had to come up from, under the, from, from saying Mass in the catacombs. Up, up Now they can say Mass outside. Nobody's going to arrest them. In 323, Christianity somehow or other became almost a, an official religion, believe that or not, in Italy, in Rome, the Roman Empire. And then in 325, you had the Nicene Creed was written in Nicaea, and that's the creed we say, we Catholics say that every Sunday, the, the, the creed, okay? Now that's early part of the 4th century, right? At that time, suddenly you get tons of people that want to join the church. It's no longer persecuted. So you had large numbers of converts back then. And what they would do is they would, and they would at the beginning of, uh, well, beginning of the pre-catechumenate, they would have a ceremony in the church during Mass when, in which they would enroll into the catechumenate. A catechumen was someone studying to join the church. They would sign their name on a ledger. That's what we still do it today. We do it. The ledgers they had back then where people signed in, we still have them from the fourth century. They're in our monasteries. You can look them up and read people's names. They entered them in the year, maybe the, re, the year 330 or 313 or whatever. Okay. Uh, and then uh, on Ash Wednesday, uh, they did, an, they did a, a further uh, uh, step forward because that was the end of the pre-catechumenate, and now they're into the catechumenate. And then there were 40 days before Easter, and they had ashes. That was, But back then, Lent, the, days, the 40 days before Easter, was just for people joining the church. But everybody else thought it was such a neat thing. They said, well, why, don't we, why can't we do that? Well, all right, what the heck. So now that became Ash Wednesday. Now everybody can have, get ashes, and every, everybody can go through Lent. So Lent's for everybody now, not just those joining the church. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the early church, if this is interesting, I hope this is interesting, and how they did things back then. Stay with me, Monsignor Frank Bignano. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. What is the first reflex thought that we find in sacred scripture of God? Not the first description of him creating the world, but the first thought that he has about himself. Open Genesis and you will find it. Let us make man. Think of it, as if God could not exist without man. God does not need man to complete himself, to fulfill a need, but he needs man as a kind of uh, a gift. He must have someone to whom he can show his love. The first monologue that we touch in sacred scripture is the monologue of God thinking about man. What are the first dialogues in scripture? 
The first question in scripture is God saying to man, Adam, where art thou? The people you know and trust are on EWTN. It can be easy to look at how someone is dressing or acting and judge them. But have you ever thought about how much grace is available in these situations? The next time someone makes a questionable decision, instead of judging and condemning, uphold their dignity for them. We do greater good by lifting them up in prayer and respecting their personhood than if we mentally tear them apart in our thoughts. We can uphold the dignity of others even when they are unable to recognize their own value. Hello, this is Steve Ray. Join me in Iowa Catholic Radio on the journey of a lifetime with a Footprints of God pilgrimage to the Holy Land, November 11 through the 20th, 2023. We'll visit the places where our Lord performed miracles, including the Mount of Transfiguration, the Wedding Church in Cana, Tabga, where Jesus multiplied the loaves and fish, and of course, the Holy Sepulchre. The scriptures will come alive as I offer expert teaching along the way like I always do. Visit iowacatholicradio.com for all the details. St. Vincent de Paul helps so many people. You're right, Zoe. St. Vincent de Paul Executive Director Steve Havman here. We are serving over 32,000 local residents with food, clothing, furniture, and financial assistance annually. We invite you to learn more about all of our life-changing programs that positively impact so many Iowans by simply Googling St. Vincent de Paul of Des Moines. Our mission is to help those in need become self-sufficient through education, community connectedness, and unconditional support. Help us help others. Even kids! Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by CTO. What great news for donors to the Catholic Tuition Organization. You now receive 75%, yes, 75% of your donation back in Iowa tax credits beginning January 1st of this year. Your support has helped thousands of students attend our Catholic schools. Best gift ever. Online, ctoiowa.org. At CTO, the bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. So we're back talking about how people became Christians. What did they do? Well, it was pretty elaborate, because back then in the Roman Empire, once once Christianity was okayed, and once the emperor's wife, St. Helen, uh, was a saint, Constantine's wife was a saint, he was baptized on his deathbed. That, that did it. That's it. We're all, we're all going to join large numbers of converts. Okay, so they had to enroll— they signed their name in a, in, in a ledger, which I said, we still have those ledgers from the 4th century. Um, then they were saturated in Scripture. They were just, every week, they were just given more and more and more of the Bible. And uh, But back then, the whole community was involved uh, in helping this person become a Christian, right? The deacons, uh, the laity, the bishop, everybody. Uh, and then you had a sponsor. Uh, well, we, we, this is, again, we have to do this now. We, we, I, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that the church recovered all this at the Second Vatican Council. All the research was done for about 100 years from the mid-1800s. When Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, rolled around, the research was done. They said, here is how you do it. And, that's, and so they changed it from me giving a one-on-one with somebody, going through a catechism with somebody, to joining a group, a group, and that person had to have a sponsor, okay? They had to be saturated in Scripture, plenty of Scriptures. Um, 
Priests were involved, deacons, everybody was involved. Um, now, way back then, uh, the, the, the catechesis, that is the teaching before Lent, the, you know, before the 40 days of Lent, that went for about two years. You were, you were studying to be a Christian for about two years, right? Uh, and, and, oh, by the way, uh, your sponsor, <laughs> uh, he was, he or she, uh, uh, was, uh, was watching you guiding you. He wasn't just hanging out, sipping coffee, right? Uh, so, for example, you could not, if you were a catechumen, all right, you signed the book, uh, you could not, uh, for example, uh, eat pagan banquets, go to these pagan banquets all around Rome, right? Uh, you couldn't go to these different dances they had, not nah, bad stuff. You could not go to the Colosseum, Oh, well, wait a minute. This this Saturday at the Coliseum, these gladiators are going to kill each other. There's going to be 10 of them. There's going to be five left over. No, you could not go to the Coliseum for anything, even if animals were eating each other up. Right. You could not go to the horse races. Also, many times, or chariot races, they, they had, if they, they had, remember, the Coliseum was just the biggest one. They had different what they call circuses, which were smaller Coliseums all around Rome. Okay. Uh, you could not, uh, you could not have any kind of an amulet or or any kind of, of of sorcery or black magic stuff you're putting around your neck or stuff like that. No, 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 no. All that was gone. So you know this was they were pre- and they were tough. Your your sponsor watched you. And I'll tell you why. Because when it came time for you to be baptized in the baptistry, I hope I can get get through all this. Uh, anyway. Uh, the bishop would sit there uh, at the edge of the bisque baptistry. Baptistry was like a huge, huge swimming pool, about two feet deep, huge things. Um, women on one side, men on the other, big screen in between because you had to take off all your clothes. And the bishop would say the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the deacon in the water with you, or deaconess or woman, they would dunk you in three times. Okay. Uh, but uh, in in order to do that, uh, you had to be, the, the, your sponsor had to go before the bishop, kneel down in front of the bishop and say, my, my uh, catechumen is Fred over here. Uh, Fred is clean. He's good. I've been watching for two years. He's never, no, no horse races. He hasn't been to the Coliseum, da, 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 da. So your sponsor had to vouch for you before the bishop, before he would allow you to be baptized. How do you like that? And so for the for the right, what they went through was just amazing. Uh, gosh, folks, I just wish I had more time. But um, they would they would on the on the Easter vigil, that is the Saturday night before Easter Sunday, they'd be up all night long praying for up until midnight, and then then they would around and they keep praying and fasting, and the church was full of people praying for them. And uh, then what they would do is uh, they would. Uh, uh, outside the baptistry, they would renounce Satan. Uh, they would make a profession of faith. I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in the one baptism of repentance. That's what they had to say. And they would go into the baptistry uh, uh, and get baptized. Then they would come out. Uh, th- th- they would they would they would, they would be stripped of their clothing of the white garments. Okay, anointed. Their entire body was anointed with uh, the oil of catechumens. They were baptized, I said that. They get a new white garment, and then there'd be a second anointing, which is sacred chrism, which we do all this today, by the way, the two anointings, okay? 
And then they would process into the church. Everybody would be waiting for them, singing, clapping, whatever. Uh, the priest, and of course, what the priest did back then was different than today. They would wash their hands at first. They would do the kiss of peace. They would be the introductory dialogue, you know, the Lord be with you. They would go through the Mass, basically. That's what they would do. Uh, and then these, the catechumens would come up, and they would receive their first communion at communion time. So um, anyway, I guess I'm telling you all this because when people go through the RCIA today, they're basically going through what they did in the third century, second, third, fourth, fifth century, around in there. We do the very same thing, everything, uh, except it's in English. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's it's, it's wonderful, and it's very spiritual, because people grow as they join. They are growing into the—they don't go to the church. They grow into the church through all these disciplines. So that's it. Becoming a Catholic Christian sounds complicated, but check it out. Uh, just go to a priest or a deacon or somebody in your parish and say, I'm interested. Sit down, chat with them. And I always tell people when I start off, I say, do yourself a favor. Do not become a Catholic unless you understand it and you believe in it. Otherwise, you're just fine where you are. God bless you. Monsignor Frank Bignano, Thought of the Week. Iowa Catholic Radio welcomes Scotty McCreary. With special guest, Allie Colleen. Give myself Sunday, July 24th at the Iowa Event Center Ballroom. I'm in between Friday night wild and quiet Sunday morning. Tickets and information available at celebratecountry.org. Sponsored by Ball Team. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Intervisions Healthcare, empowering men and women to make the most informed, life-affirming decisions for themselves and their families. Learn more at intervisionshealthcare.org. Intervisionshealthcare.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Knights of Columbus, Foreman and Pfeiffer Agencies, specializing in life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability income insurance, and retirement annuities. Are you looking for a career? We are in search of men with an entrepreneurial spirit and a strong desire to live Catholic values. Knights of Columbus is seeking field agents to serve throughout the state of Iowa. Visit kofc.org slash careers. The Knights of Columbus need you now, and one day you might need the Knights. That's kofc.org slash careers to learn more. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Farm Bureau agent Cindy Schulte, offering insurance products for farm, ranch, machinery, livestock, and much more. It's your future. Let's protect it. Cindy's phone number is 515-226-2111. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hi, this is Matt Wilkham, Executive Director for Iowa Catholic Radio. This Easter season reminds us that Jesus Christ has conquered both sin and death. In a world filled with confusion and despair, we, along with our family, friends, and neighbors, desperately need to hear this message of hope. Please prayerfully consider a $30 a month sustaining gift. Give us a call at 515-223-1150 or donate online at iowacatholicradio.com. Thank you. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Learn more about Five Sons Naturescapes at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry. Sarah is an apostolate dedicated to the support of new and existing vocations to the priesthood and consecrated life. Learn more at joinsarah.org. Join S-E-R-R-A.org. And Monsignor Frank Bagnano, thought of the week. We're talking about 
uh, joining the Catholic Church. Whoa, man, that sounds like it's a lot. Well, folks, it is a lot. It is a lot because it's a big deal. It's not like joining the Rotary or Sertoma or something like that. No, no. There's a whole process. And what we have done, the Second Vatican Council, by the way, let me explain it really quickly to people. In the last 20 centuries, there have been 20 councils of the church. What's that? All the bishops come together and make decisions about the church. Okay. The decisions have to be ratified by the Pope. They have to be ratified. So every council is very, it's very important because it brings, it addresses the issues of that century, of, of the day. Okay. Well, uh, the first Vatican Council was in the 18, late 1800s, and um, it was interrupted by a war that was going on. The Franco-Prussian War was going on in the late 1800s, so the bishops all took off and got back to their dioceses and so on. And uh, and that's why Vatican II actually started in 1960. It actually started with the with formally concluding Vatican I, <laughs> so it could start up Vatican II. Okay. So, and, and it's called Vatican, because that's where the councils are held. The Council of Nicaea, we have the Nicene Creed, was held in Nicaea, Greece. So the First Council of Jerusalem was held in Jerusalem. Vatican II, held at the Vatican. There you go. Now you, now you know it. All right. Uh, so anyway, uh, as I said before Vatican II, there had been a, almost a whole century of research done by our scholars, our monks, many of whom have degrees in you name it. And there are hundreds of them. And what they do in the monastery is they study and they do research. And so when they, you get to Vatican II, they say, well, where'd all this stuff come from? Well, that's what the, they've gone, they've combed through the history of the church. They've taken, they've seen things that were added in that really were pretty superfluous in the church that, you know, just somebody wanted this or that. And, uh, and they, they said, let's get right down to, the, to, to where the church was in the, ver- in the beginning. And some of the stuff, it was good. Some of it, maybe we don't, not, don't have to do. And, and so they, that's what they did. Uh, uh, so, so that's why, for example, uh, the RCIA, as I mentioned before, I studied this stuff in Rome uh, 20, 22 years ago when I was studying their uh, Paleo-Christian liturgy, uh, that, that this all came from that. And, and they didn't use everything they found in the history uh, books. For example, uh, before, like I was saying earlier, uh, in the early church, Holy Saturday night, all the catechumens would gather outside the baptistry. Now, the baptistry was a separate building. If you ever go to Rome, there's going to be a baptistry building and a, and a cathedral right next door, or a basilica or a church right next door. So they would gather outside. They would all... Uh, Look to the east because that's where Christ rose. The, you know, they, the east is always the the rising sun, and they would turn around and spit it to the west. Well, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we don't get outside and do all that stuff. But that we we knew they, that's what they did. Big, you know, that was fine. Uh, and uh, so then they would, as I mentioned before, uh, they would have on their new white garment because they had just been baptized in the baptistry. Uh, and I explained about that. You had women being baptized. There's this big curtain. The baptistry was like a, a waiting pool, big waiting pool. And uh, women on one side, men on the other, big screen in the middle, everybody stripped down. And they would immerse them three times, as the bishop would say, uh, uh, Madeline, I baptize you in the name of the Father, down, up, son, down, up, 
Holy Spirit, down up. Okay. So they did that. Then they would anoint them with oil, uh, and then they would, uh, of course, dry them off, anoint them with oil, and put on a white robe symbolizing the purity of the soul having been ridded of all sin. And the and now the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So that is the, uh, that, that the, as I say, I could go on and on. I took a whole course in this stuff. But it's really, really, really interesting. Uh, so now the next question, will be, okay, now, all right, I, I got you, Monsignor. You, you, you got me confused enough. So wh- what do I do if I want to, if I want to become a Catholic? Oh, I'd say, number one, uh, go and see a priest or a deacon. You know, make an appointment. Just go see him. Say, hey, guess what? I want to be a Catholic. Now, one of the things I always should tell, when I would, we, we had the first group of cat, then, then we'll for, put you into a catechumenate group, okay? And then you'll go through these di- different uh, steps uh, uh, and, and teachings. Uh, but I always tell the group, when I always met with the group, uh, first time they met, I would say, do yourself a favor. Do not become a Catholic. What? Yeah. Don't become a cat unless you understand it, unless it feels right, and then do it. Otherwise, you're perfectly fine. I don't think you're going to go into hell. Just keep living a good life. That's why I always tell people. I do. And I've had people tell me, having gone through the whole thing, I had a one woman tell me, I don't think I'm ready during Lent. I said, don't. Well, she didn't. And then a year later, she called me and said, I think I'm ready now. I said, okay, you went through the whole thing. Just get into the Lent thing and you're okay. 40 days of Lent. So go see a priest or a deacon. Number two, uh, or visit with the head person. There's always somebody who's head of the RCIA in the parish. Uh, then get a good sponsor, and the priest will identify somebody for you, help you, somebody who can give you a good example. Not, they're not just a Catholic, but somebody who's really into it. They really they go to Mass every Sunday. They, they practice it. Okay? Then attend all the classes. There you go. And begin to live the life. I mean, start going to Mass. You know, you can sit there. You can uh, listen to the Word of God. Uh, you can go up for a blessing at communion time, cross your arms, uh, your hands across your chest and ask for a blessing. Pray every day, start praying, okay? And begin to get rid of things that are standing in the way of full union. For Bad companions, stop it. Go into a bar every night after work, stop it if that's, if that's a problem. Uh, bad TV, bad internet, stop it. Addictions, try to get some counseling, get rid of your addictions, in other words, get rid of stuff so that you've got plenty of room for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So that's it. Uh, it's a new freedom. It's great. If you want to join the church, do it. Uh, but follow your conscience. Do what's right. God bless you. Thought of the Week with Monsignor Frank Bunyano. Listen online at iowacatholicradio.com or on the Iowa Catholic Radio app.